Welcome to the Employment Law and HR Podcast with your host, Allison Colley. Hello and welcome to this episode 202 of the Employment Law and HR Podcast. I'm your host, Alison Colley. I'm an employment solicitor and HR specialist and I run the firm Real Employment Law Advice, where together with my colleagues, we provide advice and assistance to both employers and employees. I have been running this podcast now since 2014 and the aim of the podcast is to provide you a mix of information about the law, cases and best practice and try to incite some conversation around HR and basically improving the world of work for all. Now in this week's podcast I'm bringing you a bit of an update following a recent case in the Supreme Court about holidays and just as a way of a reminder about holiday rights and the foundations for holiday entitlement and pay. So hopefully you find it interesting and of course if you have any questions about the content or you have any suggestions for future episodes I would love to hear from you. You can email me it's alison at realemploymentoradvice.co.uk and I would invite you to follow me or join me or connect with me however you do it on LinkedIn if you just search Alison Colley or Real Employment Advice, you'll find me on there. I always love to hear from you if you listen to the podcast or if this is your first time listening and you want to connect, it would be great to hear from you. So without further ado, I'm going to get into this week's featured content. So as I said, I'm going to be covering holiday rights. And this is off the back of the Supreme Court case of Brazel and Harper Trust, which I'll talk about in a moment. But the first thing I want to talk about is the background to holiday rights and where it comes from. So as you may or may not know, the foundation of holiday rights in the UK comes from European law and in the Working Time Directive. And that was implemented into UK law by the Working Time Regulations. And case authority and the employment tribunals and courts then interpret the law. So pre-Brexit, pre our exit from Europe, it would be an interpretation of the European law that has been implemented into UK law. And in the past, if there was any question mark about how it should be interpreted and applied, it would go to the European courts. So that doesn't happen now. So it is decided entirely in-house, if you like, by the UK courts. But the foundations of European law, which laid the groundwork for holiday rights, is still there. So the first thing to note in relation to holiday is who has the entitlement to holiday? Well, it's normal employees in the normal sense, as you would understand it, but also workers. So this hybrid in the middle between an employee and a self-employed person known as a worker also has the rights to holiday. The legal entitlement in the UK is 5.6 weeks leave as a minimum. So all employees have the right to 5.6 weeks leave and that's employees and workers should I say. Now the way in which this is set out in law is entirely in weeks but it's normal for employers to break it down into days. So for example somebody who works a five-day week normally would be entitled to 28 days holiday over the course of the year. And some employers will say you're entitled to 5.6 weeks or 28 days leave, which is inclusive of the normal bank holidays. Or others will say you're entitled to 
four weeks holiday plus the normal bank holidays if, for example, the business normally closes on a bank holiday. There is no requirement to provide bank holidays as a separate day off. And that is because a couple of years back, the UK government increased the minimum holiday entitlement from four weeks, which is what is set out in European law, and they increased it by 1.6 weeks to take into consideration the eight bank holidays that they are normally in the UK. So what was happening was that some people were getting four weeks holiday that they could take at any time and then having the additional eight days off. And others in certain sectors, particularly in hospitality, for example, were having four weeks only and, and not having those bank holidays off because obviously businesses were generally open on those days. So it was increased. So everybody has this 5.6 weeks entitlement, which can be inclusive of bank holidays. So when we are often asked the question about holiday, whether you should calculate it in days or hours. And the answer to this is it doesn't really matter as long as you're consistent in your approach and that you get the right calculation. So for example, for part-time staff who work regular hours on say three days a week, it would be simplest to just use days if that's what you do for everybody else. If you get somebody who works shorter days uh, on some days and longer days on others, then it might be better to work out in hours so that individuals are still getting the same amount of time off from work, regardless of whether they work a seven hour day or a three hour day. If somebody starts or leaves their employment partway through the year, then you calculate the holiday entitlement pro rata based on the number of months or weeks accrued and you round up to the nearest half or whole day. So if somebody starts midway through your holiday year, for example, let's say they're six months in, then you would calculate that they would be entitled to half of the normal holiday entitlement for the remainder of the year. So far, it's all fairly simple stuff, not too confusing. And hopefully you're already aware of these things, but it's always good to have a bit of a reminder. Now, the real issue arises with regards to holiday entitlement, where somebody has no fixed hours. So it's easy if somebody has regular, consistent hours that they work or days that they work. You can work that out, no problem at all. You can work out the pro rata entitlement. Problems arise where somebody has inconsistent hours or, for example, is on a zero-hour contract. Now, in the past, the way in which we would have advised you to calculate the holiday would be as a percentage of the hours worked. So it would be normal to include in the contract a clause that says, your holiday is based on the number of hours that you work and it's calculated at 12.07% of the hours that you work. And this was guidance that was on the ACAS website and generally applied across the board. But the case of Brazel and Harper Trust has changed all that and really changed the way that we think about holiday. So if somebody works for you on an ad hoc basis and they are doing zero hours, they're truly zero hours, then if they are retaining their employment throughout the year, regardless of whether they do work or not, they are entitled to 5.6 weeks holiday, paid holiday in the year, in the same way as somebody who works all year round. So then how would you go about calculating their entitlement now and ensuring that somebody who is on a zero hour contract or a casual worker receives the correct amount of holiday and holiday pay. Well, if they are truly zero hours and casual, 
it's not normal that they would want to actually take holiday off of work because they don't have any guaranteed hours. You usually find that people who work on zero hour contracts aren't that interested in actually stipulating they want to take set time off. So then the best way of going about it, in my view, would be to work out a period of time within the year in which you are going to stipulate that that is holiday and pay accordingly. So for example, you could say that every quarter you are going to stipulate that that employee is taking 1.4 weeks of their holiday entitlement, which is a quarter of the 5.6 weeks entitlement, and then paying them accordingly. And the law says that you have to pay them based on the last 52 weeks where they have received pay. So you would just basically, let's just say at the end of March, you'd say you have taken 1.4 weeks holiday this month, or you're required to take 1.4 weeks holiday this month, and you'll be paid accordingly, and then calculate it based on the average of the last 52 weeks. Alternatively, you can work out and say to them that they can take the time off, but as I say, it doesn't normally fit that somebody who's working on a casual basis and as and when required will really want to actually stipulate and take time off at set times. So as I said, those who are casual workers do continue to accrue holiday even when they're not working for you. So it may be, depending on the nature of your business, that you have people who are on your books or still under a contract with you that you haven't technically ended because, for example, they were doing odd hours here and there or you're retaining their employment potentially for the next season or something, um, then they would continue to accrue the right to paid holiday. Now, of course, unless there's something alternative in your employment contracts or handbook and policies, holiday that's not taken at the end of the year is lost. So if you are in a situation where you have people who are on your books but haven't undertaken any work for a while, you could consider letting the holiday year roll out so till the end of the holiday year so that that holiday for that year is lost if it's not taken and then potentially terminating their employment afterwards obviously in an appropriate way to avoid any claims for unfair dismissal or discrimination etc. So holiday does not continue to accrue and carry over but it does accrue throughout the year even if they aren't working. And I know this is really hard for people to get their head around. It absolutely doesn't make sense to most people that if you're not working, you'd still be entitled to paid holiday. But that's what the law as it currently stands states. And this has all come about and been clarified following the Harper Trust in Brazil Supreme Court case. And in this case, it basically confirmed that when you're calculating holiday, you're required to calculate holiday pay sorry based on the last 52 weeks of pay and that's time in which they've actually received pay so you miss out any weeks where they haven't received any pay from you and that goes back up to two years so in a situation where you've got somebody who's a casual worker and they may not have done any work for you for several months you would miss those months out when you're doing your calculations and go back further to calculate the average of the last 52 weeks and of course, as I was saying, the case also clarifies that you are entitled to 5.6 weeks paid leave regardless of the number of hours or days or weeks that you work throughout the course of the year. Now, because of this case, 
the government have published a consultation in relation to the calculation of holiday for part year and irregular hours workers. I think it's been widely recognised that this case has caused a bit of a hoo-ha, I suppose, amongst employers, as I was saying, by the very fact that they would have to pay for 5.6 weeks regardless of whether someone is working or not. And because of this, a new consultation has been started on the 12th of January and there is a proposal within that to make holiday entitlement under the working time regulations uh, proportionate to the number of hours worked. Now, if that goes ahead, that will obviously clarify the position for people who employ casual or part-time workers or part-year workers. And hopefully, I'm hopeful, fingers crossed, that any new legislation in relation to this will include clarity for employers and employees on how you actually calculate the entitlement to holiday for those who work on an ad hoc or zero hours basis. Because until now, we've all been relying on what is, as I said, has been sort of standard practice of the 12.07% of hours work. As this case has shown us, it's not compliant with the working time regulations as they currently stand. Now, of course, those of you who have listened to my podcast in the past about holiday will know that I have in previous episodes covered what you need to include within the calculation for a week's pay for holiday. And so, as I was saying, if somebody works irregular hours, you would calculate based on the last 52 weeks average pay. And the same goes if somebody has differences in their pay because of something like commission or bonuses or overtime or some other performance related pay. There were a number of cases on this point that went through the employment tribunals and the European courts which clarified that if a payment is made essentially to somebody with such regularity or frequency that it will be missed if they're not paid it when they're on holiday then you need to include that in your calculation for holiday pay. So what was happening was many employers were paying basic pay only when somebody went on holiday. And it started with a case with somebody who was on a low basic pay and much of their wage was made up of commission. And when they went on holiday, their pay dropped down considerably, such that it was a barrier to people taking a rest break. And essentially that's why these cases have come about. Because what the courts and tribunals have said is that if somebody is not going to get the same amount of pay, so they're going to be much worse off financially if they take holiday, they're going to be discouraged from taking that holiday. And therefore, when someone is off on holiday, what they're paid should reflect what they would get if they were actually at work. So if the employee would be out of pocket and therefore discouraged from taking holiday, you should reconsider whether you're calculating their holiday pay in the most appropriate way according to what they should be paid on a regular basis. So as I said it's things like commission, incentive bonuses, overtime pay or premiums, whether the overtime is compulsory or voluntary, whether it's guaranteed or not, uh, payments for um, any productivity or performance bonuses, shift allowances and premiums, sort of standby payments, all of those sorts of things. They should all be taken into consideration when you're calculating the average of the last 52 weeks pay. A question that often comes up off the back of these kinds of conversations with employers is about rolled up holiday pay. So we're often asked, 
actually, do you know what, Alison, this is really complicated. I don't know what to do about it. Can I just pay my zero hour or casual employees rolled up holiday pay? Well, the answer that I normally give is that rolled up holiday pay is unlawful under the working time regulations. However, if you were to pay rolled up holiday pay, you would essentially be compensating that person for the lost holiday. And therefore, the risk from a legal perspective is low. And I know that in a lot of industries, people who work on a casual zero hour basis actually rely on receiving their rolled up holiday pay. So that is to say an amount for holiday each month based on their earnings and hours worked. And as long as it's set out clearly on the pay slip, what is actually holiday and the individual is in agreement, there is a very low risk. What I would add to that is to say, if you have somebody who is working regularly for you on a zero hour contract and you are paying them rolled up holiday pay, then you should take caution to ensure that they are actually taking a meaningful rest break at regular intervals. Because the danger could be that somebody on a zero hour contract is working full on all the time for you, you're paying them rolled up holiday pay, they're never taking any holiday and they could become unwell as a result or they could have an accident or cause some other injury to another colleague because they're exhausted and if it turns out that they're not taking holiday because they're being discouraged because if they took holiday they wouldn't actually receive any pay, then that could increase the liability to you. And as an aside, if you have somebody on a zero hour contract who is working regular hours and with high frequency for you, then I would say you should be looking at putting them on a permanent guaranteed hours contract anyway, because a zero hours contract doesn't necessarily reflect the true nature of the relationship between you. So there's a rundown of the changes, I suppose you call them, or clarifications as a result of the Supreme Court case. The key takeaways from this that I think you should be aware of are that all employees and workers are entitled to 5.6 weeks paid leave per year. And if they don't have regular hours or regular pay, it's calculated based on the average of the last 52 weeks that they have received pay. And if they have variances to their pay because of commission or performance bonuses then you should be including those in your calculation for the average. I would strongly recommend that for now you go back to your contracts of employment whether they be with zero hours workers or regular employees and just check what your contracts say about holiday pay and holiday entitlement and maybe reconsider how you are working it out to ensure that you don't end up with a claim against you for back pay or unpaid holiday that could go back a couple of years. Now, if you have any questions about this or you would like any assistance in reviewing your contracts, updating your holiday policy or looking at those clauses around holiday and how best to do it, then please don't hesitate to get in touch. As I said, my email is alison at realemploymentloradvice.co.uk and I would love to hear from you and we'd be very happy to help you out. Before I sign off on this episode, I would just like to let you know about our HR Harbour membership service. We offer three levels of membership for businesses and organisations 
And within those levels of membership, we have silver, gold and platinum. We provide ongoing, regular support to our members on all issues around employment law and HR, including regular webinars, employment updates and reviews of documents, contracts, handbooks and all of those sorts of things. So for a fixed monthly fee, you can have the assurance of having a dedicated employment solicitor on hand to help you when you need it without worrying about what the bill is going to be at the end of the month. If you'd like more information, again, you can contact me by email, connect with me on LinkedIn, or you can call the office on the main number, which is 01983 897 I look forward to hearing from you and I hope that you have a fantastic two weeks ahead. Thanks again for listening. Just want to finalise by saying I wouldn't be a lawyer unless I had a legal disclaimer. So I must just say to you that the information in this podcast is for information only. It's general review and a general update. It's always necessary to get specific legal advice about your circumstances. So please don't rely on anything that you've heard in this podcast. But please do feel free to contact me if you'd like further information or specific advice.